0: In the pursuit of truth and common sense in an unbelievable world, you're listening to The Right Mind Podcast with your host, Todd Showalter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Right Mind. I'm your host, Todd Showalter. Uh, Today, we have a guest that I had in the past with me. Very happy to have him back. It's Rich Rabino, political analyst. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for coming back. Uh, A lot of stuff has been going on uh, in a lot of different facets since I last had you on. And one of the things that's going on right now, I mean, obviously, we have an upcoming election in 22. Uh, What do you think the the state of the Republican Party is? It seems like there's a lot of dysfunction. What are we going to do to unify that?
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting. On the one hand, you have kind of establishment type Republicans, traditional Republicans and most, a lot of traditional Republicans were kind of anathema to Donald Trump. Most of them did not support him, certainly in the primary. Some of them either begrud- back in 2016, some either begrudgingly supported him in the general election, or some did not support him whatsoever. Then he became president. And some folks like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy kind of, you know, were kind of led by him in many respects because they know that he's more popular in their respective states and districts in many respects than they are. So they know that he really has a lot of leverage. So you saw folks like Mitch McConnell basically, you know, meeting with Donald Trump, try, doing a lot to try to shepherd his a lot of his legislative agenda. Kevin McCarthy as well. even former, And then what's interesting, too, about Donald Trump specifically is the way he really transmogrificated or changed the ideology of the Republican Party. Um, it's amazing the way that you know you go back to just when George W. Bush was president, you go back to when Mitt Romney was a nominee, when John McCain was the nominee. They were for free trade. They were for liberalization of immigration, at least George W. Bush was in terms of legal immigration, finding a pathway to citizenship. George W. Bush was for not was for intervention overseas, for example. But Donald Trump changed that. He, he's an economic nationalist. He supports protective tariffs. Um, he's somebody who tries to appeal not necessarily only to wealthy people, but also to more traditional, some Democrats, blue-collar conservatives, if you will. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody that does not certainly. Dick George W. Bush wanted to end tyranny in our world. Donald Trump talks more of of a more insular uh, foreign policy, and in terms of uh, immigration, he not only wants to curtail legal illegal immigration, but legal immigration as well. So many Republicans have kind of come to him in that respect, but. I think a lot of them would rather somebody else be on the political landscape in 2024 because they view him as too divisive and they view him as somebody that potentially could have deleterious effects on folks running in in down ballot races, done running for house, running for senate. But it's just fascinating because on the one on the one hand, you know, Donald Trump is doing something that's fascinating in that he's actually endorsing candidates in the primaries against incumbent members. Um, You saw this this past week. He campaigned against Congressman Gonzalez in Ohio. Congressman Gonzalez is one of the 10 Republicans who supported the impeachment of Donald Trump. It's very it's almost unprecedented, except for under extraneous circumstances, that an incumbent former president will actually campaign against members of his own party who are incumbent members. Um, It's really it's a very, uh, very interesting
0: yeah, well, you know, and that goes back to uh, I mean, just a, a minute ago you you touched base on uh the divisiveness that yeah. that has been in place. But you know, I think it going back from the very beginning, I think a lot of people came into the whole scenario with divisive divisiveness from the start. Um, I mean, there were some people—you're never Trumpers, so to speak—that, regardless of what he did or what he stood for, just weren't going to like the guy. Um, do you think uh, some of those people just didn't give him a fair shake?
1: Well, I think some of those never Trumpers actually became Trumpers or begrudging Trumpers during his administration. But certainly, there are many who view him as kind of, who, who have a different view of what conservatism is. So as a result, some of them either left the Republican Party or became Biden Republicans, folks that would vote for Biden at the top of the ticket and then would vote for Republicans on the rest of the ballot. Um, Folks like Bill Kristol, for example, the former editor of the Weekly Standard, never never supported Donald Trump and continued not to support him in 2020. George Will, the conservative columnist, for example, who was a never Trumper, supported Joe Biden for president in 2020. And that was the first time he said he's ever voted for Republican whatsoever. But many of those many of those types of conservatives are more or less in the intellectual class, if you will. And they're not they don't necessarily represent the actual Republican Party or what the Republican Party is today. And in that Republican Party, Donald Trump is very popular. Um, So it's it's, so that's kind of so that's kind of an interesting dynamic, if you will. Now there are some folks, particularly folks in many kind of white collar, um, somewhat socially, socially moderate, somewhat fiscally conservative Republicans. In places like suburban Atlanta, who also were Biden Republicans. And those are the people that I think the Republican Party, at least in 2022, believes that with that with Donald Trump not being on the ballot directly, they think they can actually get some of these people to come back. Um, but of course, um, you know, the, those those are a lot of the people who were traditionally, you know. Well, here's an example. New Gingrich's little congressional district, for example, is now represented by a Democrat. And that happened in a special election back in 2017 after Tom Price uh became to secretary of health and human services so you had lucy Macbeth winning that congressional seat and part of that is because it's around the marietta silver springs georgia area because a lot of these people who supported newt gingrich are traditionally conservative but they are not donald trump type conservatives he's a different brand of conservative so as a result a lot of these people as kind of as a protest if you will actually support a democrat and those are the people that those are the types of congressional of candidates The Republicans are really going to try to target. Um, But of course, you know, Donald Trump was kind of anathema to them in many respects.
0: Yeah, well, you know, but then also, I mean, you go back to George Will and some of these other people that you mentioned. I mean, it's almost like you have this Republican elite, you know, that, uh, well, no, he's not he's not one of us. He's not good enough for us. But then you also touch base on. Uh, you've got you know the blue collar workers, the uh, you know the regular hardworking American that are behind them. I mean, who should we be voting for? I mean, should we be following what George will, the intellectual thinks, or should we be, uh, as we're all American citizens, shouldn't we be getting behind the guy that's you know everybody else in the country is behind? I mean, it seems to me that we have whether it's media driven or celebrity driven or. In, in the case of George Will, you know all of the above. I mean, what? Why? Why is that such an issue? I mean, it's, it's obviously. I mean, he came in from uh, the beginning, said he was going to drain the swamp, and people didn't like that. He wasn't your traditional candidate. He wasn't your traditional president. But you know, I like to ask, what was really wrong with that? He got things done. Uh, people didn't like him because he uh, he tweeted a lot. Well, you know, I'd rather have some bad tweets than four dollar gas. I mean, what what was so bad about the guy, aside from the conservative Republican elite that just didn't think he was up to their standard? What Besides that, what was really wrong with Donald Trump?
1: I think a lot of it was, frankly, policy. A lot of them have different policy prescriptions. A lot of them have policy prescriptions that were kind of the, what I call the status quo anti, where the status quo was prior to Donald Trump. They had different views, for example, uh, certainly folks like Bill Kristol, for example, he was one of really the architects on the ideology of going into Iraq, something which Donald Trump certainly opposed. And I think when someone like Donald Trump comes in, becomes president, he says, I'm not going to necessarily be able to support him anymore. Someone like George Wilders has a completely different view on issues like trade. They just have a different view of where the Republican Party and what conservatism is. There's really an of similitude, if you go back. To 1972, when the Democratic Party nominated George McGovern. So basically, the Democratic Party, based from after the Cold War, from pretty much Harry Truman, Adelaide Stevenson, John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, basically wanted certainly a mean efficient uh, social service regime, but they also were somebody who supported, for example, going into Vietnam and an interventionist foreign policy. George McGovern comes in in 1972 and was an opponent of Vietnam War. Um, some of the traditional Democrats supported someone like Ed Muskie or Hubert Humphrey or Henry Scoop Jackson, a senator from Washington State, in the primaries. So George McGovern garnered his nomination. And if any, if you I guess you what would be probably the closest to and never Trump, you had a never McGovern movement. You had folks like John Conley, the governor of Texas, um support the governor of Texas, former um, former aide to Lyndon Johnson, former U.S. Navy secretary. This starts, you know, um, Democrats for Nixon in the state of in the state of Texas, not in say they're for Nixon, but because they're against McGovern and they never really accepted the McGovernization of the Democratic Party. And I think you're seeing the same thing in terms of a lot of Republicans never really accepted the Trump um, movement in the Republican Party. Now, some of those um, are actually some of those. It comes to self-interest in terms of folks who represent congressional districts that where a Republican is uh, where a Republican represents a congressional district where Donald Trump lost Or, well, Donald Trump was very close, they are looking at potentially the general election and their own um, constituency. And they're looking and they're saying, you know, if I'm running for reelection, I have to distance myself from Donald Trump. Um, John Calco, for example, a place like, um, you know, in New York, um, some of these congressional districts, you know, Trump is very popular. He's very popular in rural America. But he's not popular in suburban America and he's certainly not he's certainly not popular in many municipalities. So I think a lot of it comes down really to self-interest and when it comes to politicians. You know, the number one priority, number two priority and number three priority is is really it's well, I guess other than raising money is really to get reelected. So in terms of the elites, it's a little bit different in terms of the elites, in terms of folks like the Weekly Standard editor. um, They just have a different ideological agenda in terms of some members of the House of Representatives. They come or senators, for example, too. They come from states and congressional districts where Donald Trump is not popular. So they really have to kind of, you know, they're in a very delicate um, box because on the one hand, they're fearful that this to be a primary challenge in their in their own primaries. Then somebody wins the primary then potentially loses the general election because they're too conservative or too Trumpy for that congressional district. But on right. the other hand, they're worried about their own. They're worried about the general election that if they're too tethered or too allocated to Donald Trump, that that's going to have deleterious effects. So they're really in a delicate. Uh, they're really in a, in a in kind of a tinderbox here.
0: Right. You know, you can't win. And I mean, and again, I think it comes down to I think that there's a lot of people with blinders on that, you know, just based on the personality of the guy. uh, Kind of they don't give any credit to some of the achievements that he's done and he's put us ahead. And I'm going to kind of spin off of that now. You, You mentioned George McGovern. Let's move a little bit further ahead to Jimmy Carter. Um, a lot of people are comparing this whole Biden situation to uh, the Jimmy Carter era, which was certainly uh, nothing to be proud of. Uh, do you see a correlation between that? Between Not those really, two?
1: no. Um, so it is true. Joe Biden did support Jimmy Carter in the Democratic primaries in 1976. In the case of Jimmy Carter, though. I think Jimmy Carter really got um, kind of a bad rap because a lot of the a lot of his the problems there was the OPEC embargo, there was inflation. A lot of that inflation that he inherited was from the Johnson administration, the Great Society, and Vietnam, then the Nixon administration um, as well, somewhat the Ford administration as well, then the the misery index. So he inherited kind of he he inherited a lot of that, and then he tried to deal with it the best that he could. And he actually, if you look what he tried to do, he actually he dere- he tried to deregulate the airline industry. Um, in 1980, for example, he, he well, Jimmy Carter though was different than Joe Biden because when Jimmy Carter, no, came, so. in, right. Jimmy Carter sure. came in, Jimmy I Carter came in, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter wanted to balance the budget and the Democratic Party, Tip O'Neill, did not want him to do that. The first thing he did, one of the first things he did is he vetoed a pro is he vetoed what they called the water projects bill, which is basically all these water projects that Democrats were not able to get through the Nixon and Ford administrations. They put into a piece of legislation and Jimmy Carter vetoed it. So Jimmy Carter was kind of a but he was really he was kind of a fiscal restraintist, if you will. So what happened is a lot of the Democrats, the liberal wing of the Democratic Party who wanted to spend more money, they landed up kind of consolidating around Ted Kennedy, who was going to challenge him in 1980, even some of the establishment Democrats. Plus, Carter also was different in Joe, in Joe Biden in that Carter had come out of nowhere in the respect that he was a one-term governor, two terms in the state Senate in Georgia, and he was a peanut farmer and a nuclear engineer in the Navy. Joe Biden is somebody who's been in politics since he was 29 years old when he first won his elective office, but Joe Biden is also more of a traditional Democrat. He is actually a lot different than he was... When he first came to the Senate for example he talked about Hubert Humphrey not knowing when to not knowing when to stop spending money and when he was in the Senate his some of his big right. issues were the crime bill but he's changed a little bit in terms of becoming more of a traditional democrat uh since he became president but I think that the Jimmy Carter parallel I don't, I wouldn't agree with that I think that Jimmy Carter was an outsider Jimmy Carter was somebody who was a fiscal restraintist somebody who wanted to balance the budget Joe Biden is somebody who's more of a great society, Linda Johnson type Democrat who wants to spend more money, a Keynesian, if you will. And with that money, he he believes that you can kind of spend your way, if you will, um, to prosperity. So they're, they're different animals in many respects.
0: Well, okay. And you bring back, you know, again, I'm, I, when I say, you know, comparing the two, believe me, I've got a lot more, uh, you know, this is biased, but I have a lot more credit. I give a lot more credit to Jimmy Carter than I do Joe Biden. But uh, you brought up, uh, you know, the fact that Jimmy Carter, um, you know, didn't have the um, the tenure in the in the political game as much as Joe Biden does. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, you got a guy, and uh, I mean, that's been in you know Congress as senator, senator, uh, Senate. Uh, what? What was it? Forty years now? Something like he was, that. He
1: was elected Is... to the Senate the same day Richard Nixon was reelected in 1972. Okay.
0: And so you've got that. And so how does somebody like this, just from your, you know, you you know, politicians, I mean, how do we have uh, somebody that's been so uh, absorbed in the political culture uh, and hasn't really been on the outside to see, you know, if I'm a business guy, which I am, um, I'd rather if I'm going to have somebody uh, manage my store, I'd rather have somebody do it. That's been out there working in the industry and in the business and knows business. Than somebody that's just a a bureaucrat, a delegate. You know, I, I mean, what do you think from a leadership standpoint? What, what do you think Joe Biden brings to that?
1: A lot of it comes to a lot of it comes, first of all, to delegation. And obviously you delegate a lot of authority and the president, you know, the president really before anything else is really the number one human services. um, It's basically the human services department because you're appointing people, you're nominating people and you have a staff and they kind of recommend, you know, Joe Biden didn't really pretend that he was an outsider. Um, it's in sometimes politicians, Bob Dole in nineteen ninety-six, for example, when he was running for president, once about when he once it appeared he was going to garner the nomination, he literally quit the major- quit his job as majority leader and he quit the United States Senate and tried to say, I'm just, just a Cans and just a man. Joe Biden never really tried to do that. I think that he thinks that essentially that he can get the, that, he can, that he can he is he can get legislated legislation done more or less kind of in a Lyndon Johnson or a Hubert Humphrey manner because he knows people on both sides. He knows how to, you know, he kind of knows where the bodies are buried. He knows how he can persuade somebody. And he is somebody who was trusted. You know, he is friends with Jesse Helms. He spoke at Strom Thurmond's funeral. Uh, one of the most, one of the most, you know, a former segregationist. He's for a politician. For he's a, he's he's a, he's a, a typical you're, politician. You're, you're, and when you're a politician.
0: politician. When you're
1: a politician, that means that you know how to get. Theoretically, that would mean that you know how to get legislation done because you know what this person, what I can give to the state of Maine in order to get Susan Collins to vote for me, for example, because I have a certain, I've, I've, I because I've somehow consolidated a relationship with her, Mm -hmm. a working relationship, which is something that some Jimmy Carter, for example, go back to Jimmy Carter, and this could you could say the same thing for Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. They were governors. So as a result, a lot of the United States House of Representatives members, a lot of senators, they didn't know they didn't have a prior relationship, whereas Joe Biden does have a prior relationship. So it's interesting to see how he uses that. But I will say we're at a very partisan time. So even Republicans who may have liked him personally, maybe they serve like John Barrasso from Wyoming, who served in the Foreign Relations Committee with him. Those folks aren't necessarily going to vote with him because for their own constituencies, if you vote with Joe Biden and then you're running for reelection, you know someone's going to come in the primary and they're going to say why did you vote with joe biden this way this way yeah. and this way so it is some it is you know it's at the end of the day the, de- the republicans are entrepreneurs and their job is not necessarily to cow cow to Joe Biden. Their job is to try to represent their constituency, and they're all trepidations of primaries.
0: Right, and you know, you 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 kind of outline, you know, this very, you know, this beautiful political game almost. You oh, know, yes. we've got we've got partisanship. We've got we've got so and so doing this, so he doesn't offend, or he can get the vote for somebody in his district, or something. So you've got all these players playing the, this political. This political theater this political game and you know so and so is doing this because this is how they've done it and this is going to help my buddy who's you know a congressman down here and that's all fine and good if this is all a big game you know but this isn't a game this is the united states of america we are the constituents i mean i don't really if i want to watch a game i'll go watch the super bowl or i'll watch uh, the world series you know it, it doesn't matter to me if joe or anybody you know who you know how they're playing that game if it's not helping the american people how is what they're doing how is the way that they're acting and and and, and that's why you have so much partisanship how is that helping us the I people that, that we have hired we have hired them to represent us and they're playing some game i don't care I have- about their game I also
1: think that that's something that's been going on, you know, for time and memorial. You can go back to the days of, you know, you can go date days of the Roman Empire, and that's certainly exactly. what happens. And right. it's it's something. It's basically it's human beings. Um, when you come down to it, human beings. I think that they uh, they are altruistic in some in in some respects. Most people are altruistic, but in other respects. People want to keep their jobs. They want to keep their power. They want to keep their positions. So as a result, the politicians do you They're say. politicians. But I think I, I think don't, it's I
0: don't just, care about See, I think Donald Trump came in and he didn't care about that. I mean, he said I mean, he shook the boat. I mean, he, he he rocked the boat, I should say. I mean, and I think, you know, that is, you know, that's a problem. And I'm not saying this should be, you know, I'm not trying to, you know. Get on Donald Trump's bandwagon here. What I'm saying is, any politician that comes in and you know the next year, uh, 22, uh, and, and even beyond, don't we want somebody that's not just playing this political game to see you know who they can help and how they can get ahead and you know how they can you know you know raise their career? I mean, I would want somebody, and I don't know who that is, Rich. I mean, and you, you know better than I do who's out there. But don't we as the American public, especially in this day and age, don't we want a candidate that is going to go out there and campaign for us, not for whether they're going to get higher points in Congress? I mean, that's, I don't care about that game. I, the game is right. At, it's here at home. Who? What are we going to do? I mean, isn't it time to to shift that whole direction that we've been going in, like you said, back to the Roman Empire?
1: Oh, yeah. Before that, I mean, you know, you can go back you can certainly, you can go, you can go way, you can go back to the political parties of the Bible just about, but, um, in terms of Donald Trump, though, I will say, you know, Donald Trump, he certainly was somebody who wanted re-election. The first day, January 20th of 1970, of 1970, 2017, the day he was inaugurated, he also filed for re-election. He spent an enormous amount of time campaigning, first in 2022 for Republicans, fundraising. Then he went out in, I mean, sorry, 2018. And in 2020, he certainly spent, you know, a year a year and a half based on the campaign trail, just like his predecessor did. That's why, for example, if you, you notice Joe Biden... And I mean, this is this doesn't just Joe Biden. This isn't just Donald Trump. It's a perpetual cycle. If you notice the states, the states that they visit, when when Joe Biden goes out and he visits states, when he's promoting his when he's promoting his agenda, he's not going to Idaho. He's not going to Massachusetts. He's not going to states that he either has locked up or he has no chance at. He's going to spend his time in Ohio. He's going to spend his time in Florida because essentially, and this is what Donald Trump did too, basically you get Air Force One, and if you go on an official trip, you're basically getting free camp. It's basically a free, it's free campaigning is what it is. And as long as you don't go to a fundraiser, if you go and you give a speech and you're promoting your agenda, basically, you you know, you land, in, you, you land in Zionsville, Ohio, you give a speech, and then you get on all the national, all the local news. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, part of the game.
0: Sure, and it, I think it is that, a game. And that's yeah. part of, uh, it's part of the strategy, obviously. And isn't that why, uh, a, a big part i should say isn't that why hillary clinton lost i mean didn't she refuse to go to wisconsin uh because she didn't think that she thought that was a shoe-in up there and yeah so that, that she- was
1: that was part of it. That was that was an awful that part of that. Also, she also went to states like Arizona, where right. she thought where she thought that she had a chance of winning Arizona, and because she was looking at the demographics and she saw she saw Arizona, she saw the increase, for example, in older voters who support who were concerned about Social Security. She saw the influx of more Latino voters. She saw the influx of folks in Maricoma County, the folks around around Phoenix, some of the college some of the college students. She said, "I'm sure. going to win this state." So she said, Wisconsin, essentially. You know, it's something my husband won. It's a state that George W. Bush, it's a state that the Democrats have won, a state that, you know, go back to 1988. Um, and she said, essentially, I'm going to win that state. And she obviously they had polls that showed that. But what they didn't what they seem to have underestimated in the state of Wisconsin is the Trump voter. And the fact that there are many blue collar, traditional Democrats, independents and some soft Republicans that Donald Trump was able to attract. Um, but, right. you know, in terms of Hillary Clinton, I also think part of there are a couple of reasons why she lost. Part of it was that uh, that feeling that she had of inevitability and that kind of aura of inevitability, if you will, the idea that, you know, she's that she's going to win, that Donald Trump is just the elite. Um,
0: You're talking about the elite once again. I mean, well, I think but I think it's I think
1: it's I think that it was the idea that a lot of people had that, that she wasn't campaigning hard enough. But also you also had that had her problems on the left as well that There were a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters that either about 10 percent of the, of her support of Bernie Sanders supporters, who were kind of anti establishment, was part of the reason they supported. They were for Donald Trump and they were also for Bernie Sanders, and right. both were kind of anti, were, both ran as kind of anti elite in their primaries, but also and in the general election as well. But also, you had the scenario where some people on the left. Viewed Hillary Clinton as either a militarist, or they viewed her as somebody who was kind of a corporatist. They were certainly right. not like the fact that well, she had given a that she had given speech to Goldman Sachs
0: employees. Sure, um, and that's and the the again that, made, that, that goes that with deal. the overall. That's the campaigning and the game and everything that we were talking about. It again, if you want to play the game, that's fine. But I don't know how that's helping the uh, the American people. I will just I mean, say one know, thing.
1: Just say one thing about Hillary. Oh, that, yeah. Sure, go one ahead. One more thing that I think is interesting. If you go back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, what was her main constituency when she ran for president? It was blue collar voters. When she ran right. against Barack Obama and John Edwards, those were the people in places like Ohio. Those were the Hillary people. She was the blue collar candidate. So between two thousand and eight, when she first ran for president, and she was being appraised by everyone from Pat Buchanan to Sarah Palin, and then you go back to two thousand and sixteen in the general election, those are the people who have lost. Those are the people that she lost. The question is. What was it between those, those blue collar voters that supported her so vociferously in two thousand eight in those primaries that mm-hmm. by two thousand and sixteen either supported Bernie in the in the in the prime in the primaries and then the general election you were supported Donald Trump or very soft supporters of her? That's kind of the, that's really a conundrum for her.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. Well, Rich, we're we're. Uh... <laughs> uh, I love talking with you because time Absolutely. flies, you know, and seriously, I, I could have you on all day long. We're running out of time. I'd love to, I want to have you back. You're one of my very favorite guests. Um, just to wrap things up, we got 22 coming up. We only got about two minutes here. Yes. What do you foresee in the next, in the upcoming uh, year or so? What do we got? If history is any guide, and history, I think, is a guide, basically, the party
1: in power, the party that just took over the White House almost inevitably loses in the midterm elections you go back into when george w bush in 2002 when he was very popular and the republicans actually gained seats that was in the house of representatives the first time that had happened since 1934 with Franklin roosevelt joe biden knows this he knows he has a very he knows he literally has no he has one vote majority that's that's vice president harris the united states senate he knows that the house of representatives is about a four-vote majority I think he knows, and I think most Democrats know that by 2022, whether it's a wipeout or whether it's just, they just suffer um, you know, modest losses, that they're going to lose control of both the House and the Senate. And that's why they want to get as much of their agenda done in the first two years, because they know that once it comes 2022, it's going to be a time of gridlock. And then once it becomes 2023, everyone's going to be out campaigning, Joe Biden or whoever is running to succeed and will be spending most of their time campaigning. So as a result, only modest uh, agenda items will probably be achieved if history is any guy.
0: And that makes it sound as if uh, we're going to have an interesting uh, few months ahead or a year ahead uh, if everybody's oh, scrambling yes. to, get, to get things done. Well, Rich, I want to thank you very much again. Uh can't wait to have you back. I wish we could do a follow-up show right now, but uh, thank you. Um, would you like anybody to get in touch with you? Is there anything uh, anything you want to plug at this point?
1: Uh, sure. Well, I got a new a new book coming out, Political Trivia, hopefully three or four months. I'm kind of in the editing phases of it. It's going to be about 500 pages. Okay. Um, in, the mean, in the meantime, you can, you can see some of my interviews on www.polita-geek.com okay. or just go to Facebook and just type in Rich and then Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, and you can see some of my interviews uh, there as well. And I'll be promoting the book certainly pretty soon.
0: Fantastic. We'll put that all up on the screen so people can find you. Once again, without overkill here, you've been fabulous. I love having you on the show, and I can't wait to have you again. Okay. Have a great uh, rest of your day. And let's all keep our fingers crossed that uh, we don't lose it between now and then. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. You got all it. Right, Rich. Thank you so much. Take care. And thank we'll you, you as well. Thank you for joining me, everybody. This is Todd Showalter, and you've been watching Right Mind. Remember, if you don't have a right mind, you don't have a mind at all. Till next time. Bye bye. This has been the Right Mind Podcast with Todd Showalter.